the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Christian leaders may not strike out by punching someone. Everyone would know that's wrong, but they tend to strike out by verbally abusing people. You know that? Christian leaders are infamous for this. It's easier to recover from physical bruises than from verbal abuses. Verbal abuse is far more damaging than physical abuse. You ever hear the little child saying, sticks and stones will hurt my bones, but words or names will never harm me? That's not true. Names hurt a lot. And bones heal, but the scars of emotional name-calling are usually left forever. A bone heals, but verbal abuse usually does not. What am I talking about? I've known leaders who are sarcastic, I've known leaders who have biting words. They snap back at people. They use the pulpit to fight people. They use the pulpit to get back at them. If they've been criticized, they'll use the pulpit to strike back. They have an axe to grind. They say harmful things just to hurt someone. Someone who hurts them, they say it back. Malicious talk, gossip, slander. These are the things that an elder must not have. Standards for Church Leaders. That is the title of this verse-by-verse broadcast series. And we're studying, as you probably well know by now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I would have to say, this has been a stimulating series up to this point. On today's broadcast, we're going to see that God wants shepherds who are gentle with the sheep. An elder is a shepherd and is thus not to go around beating the sheep. I would imagine that very seldom would you find someone who claims to be a Christian leader who would physically strike someone in the congregation. So, since we're not talking about a physical altercation between a church leader and a church member, let me take this principle a little bit further. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, has been busy stretching and getting his vocal cords warmed up. And... I am just now getting the signal that he's ready to go, so I'll leave the rest of the explaining to him. So without any further ado, I present our verse-by-verse teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. You see, God wants shepherds who are gentle with the sheep, not shepherds who beat them. An elder is a shepherd. You don't go beating the sheep. You may have to deal with them in discipline, but you don't go punching them because they do something wrong. Now, in this age that claims to be sophisticated, very seldom do you find someone who claims to be a Christian leader who would physically strike someone. We're not quite as obvious to do that. So let me take this principle a little bit further. Christian leaders may not strike out by punching someone. Everyone would know that's wrong. But they tend to strike out by verbally abusing people. You know that? 
Christian leaders are infamous for this. It's easier to recover from physical bruises than from verbal abuses. Verbal abuse is far more damaging than physical abuse. You ever hear the little child saying, sticks and stones will hurt my bones, but words or names will never harm me? That's not true. Names hurt a lot. And bones heal, but the scars of emotional name-calling are usually left forever. A bone heals, but verbal abuse usually does not. What am I talking about? I've known leaders who are sarcastic. I've known leaders who have biting words. They snap back at people. They use the pulpit to fight people. They use the pulpit to get back at them. If they've been criticized, they'll use the pulpit to strike back. They have an axe to grind. They say harmful things just to hurt someone. Someone who hurts them, they say it back. Malicious talk, gossip, slander. These are the things that an elder must not have. He must not be pugnacious, whether he fights physically or whether he fights verbally. He needs to be in control of his hands. He needs to be in control of his mouth because he needs to be in control of his heart. So that is the first area of the social concern that Paul has at least of what we're studying tonight and how he gets along with people. He's not to be pugnacious. He's not to be a striker. He's not to ward off and hit somebody. Secondly, and this is really in contrast to being pugnacious, as Paul says, he is to be gentle. He's not pugnacious, but he is gentle. This word in the authorized version, the King James Version, is translated patient, but it means far more than patient, far more than patient. It even means more than gentle, which is the way my version translates it. And the problem with translating this word is that this word is so full of meaning that there is no one English word that fully captures the beauty and the depth and the breadth of this Greek word. So let me try to convey to you the richness of this word by giving you a composite of other words that taken together conveys this meaning. The word conveys a willingness to yield when it comes to his own rights. When it comes to your rights, you yield. That is part of this word. It means fairness, sweet reasonableness. And I think that's the best translation. Sweet reasonableness, gentleness, a consideration of the feelings of others. It is a spirit of peace, congeniality, what we'd call it. A gentle man is a gracious man. One who exhibits a willingness to yield and patiently makes allowances for the weaknesses and the ignorances of fallen human nature. He's not one who carries a record around with him of wrongs done by others. He's one who understands human nature. He doesn't compute it back there and pull it out whenever there's a problem and just comes to his mind. And He refuses to retaliate. He doesn't insist on his own way. It's very interesting. In Psalm 86.5, you'd be interested to know how this is translated in the Greek version of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but there is a version of the Old Testament into the Greek language called the Septuagint. The Apostle Paul used it. It was written before Paul's time. And we read in Psalm 86, verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Isn't that interesting? I want you to know that this is the same Greek word when they translate it from the Hebrew, the expression ready to forgive, when they translate it from the Hebrew to the Greek as this word gentle that Paul uses in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It is one who is ready to forgive, not one who holds a record of wrongs done at any moment's notice. He can just bring it to the forefront. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, we learn that Jesus is gentle. Jesus is gentle. Let's look there for a moment. This is the same Greek word, 2 Corinthians 10.1. 
Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. Paul says that the Lord Jesus Christ is meek and he's gentle. He is one who is fair. He is one who is patient. He is one who yields his rights. He is one who is gracious. In Philippians 4, 5, you gain more insight. There was a problem with the church at Philippi. It was a great church, but they did have a problem. And there were two women who were arguing over some things. And in Philippians 4, 5, we read, well, let's look at verse 1. Let's just read it down there. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, they were not. These were two women who were fighting over something. They were not living in harmony. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. You know, the problem that Euodia and Syntyche had, and I don't know the specifics of it, but the solution to their problem is that they needed to have a forbearing spirit. That word forbearing means gentle, means yield your rights. Whatever the situation was, and these were two apparently Christian leaders in the church, two women who had helped Paul in the gospel, were now at odds with one another. And Paul said, if you want peace to come to the church and peace to come there, have a forbearing spirit. Have a spirit of gentleness. Have a spirit of peacefulness and sweet reasonableness and stop insisting on your own rights. For a pastor, this is indispensable. Has to have this. An elder has to give in to the opinions of others. Do you know that? Now, he doesn't give in to biblical doctrine. And he doesn't give in to the perspective of the word. But he has to yield when it comes to other things. Because there are some things that are just not that important. He can't insist on being right all the time. So important. He cannot insist on that. He has to be open to the criticism of others and their viewpoint. That's not easy, but that's why he's at the standard and level that he's at. He has to be one who is open to the criticism of others and their viewpoint. Now, it doesn't mean he has to agree with their criticism. I get criticized by people. Some things I think are ridiculous. Other things I think are valid. But he has to be open to listen, and he has to be gracious to them even when he disagrees with them. He can't come across like he's domineering, like he's the unmovable king. He's got to yield to others. That's the point of this. I've met men who are never wrong on anything. Have you ever met someone like that? They're never wrong. They can't be wrong. If they say it's this way, how dare you say that it's something else? They're never wrong. They can't be elders. They shouldn't be elders. If they're elders, they should not carry on that ministry. A man who comes across like he's always right isn't gentle. Now, we're not talking about once in a while you have a difference of opinion and maybe you get off track. We're talking about if this is the characteristic of your life, then Paul says you should not be an elder. You cannot be an elder. Cannot be like that. Can't be domineering. Can't be unmovable. Has to admit he's wrong. Has to. Or he's not gentle. When dealing with the unsaved, folks, this is very important as well. In Titus chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, Paul says he's to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now, Titus is using this word gentle to say the whole church is to be this way. We're not to malign anyone. We're to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And look what he has to say here. What's the basis for this, being gentle with others? For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying this. In other words, 
We are to show non-Christians the same gentleness and consideration that God has showed us in saving us. That's all. Be patient with their shortcomings because the Lord's been patient with yours. So when you're dealing with unsaved folks, remember that you were once like that and God has been so gracious to you. So be gracious with them. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we've looked at this before, but we keep coming back to it because it is a key verse. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24, and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach patient with wronged, and here's that word in verse 25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. There is to be a gentleness about the man. He is not to dominate. He is not to be ungracious. He is to be gentle, even with the unsaved, as he meets with them. Primarily, though, a shepherd has to be gentle with the sheep. It is one thing to be gentle with those outside the flock, but it's also true that we must be gentle with those who are the flock. If you're not gentle with the sheep, you will exasperate them. You will drive them away. An elder who is never wrong can frustrate the people he's trying to minister to. They won't come to him for advice. They won't come to him for any help. He has to be understanding of the sheep, even if there are strange sheep. And believe me, there are some strange sheep. And there are sheep who would want to, or at least in being peculiar, would tend to exasperate the shepherd. But an elder is to be above that. And he is to be one who does not exasperate them, does not frustrate them. One man put it this way, so many wrongs, disagreements, faults, hurts, and injustices exist in a sinful world that one would be forced to live in perpetual division, anger, and conflict if it were not for gentleness. Listen, in the church you have all kinds of people, all kinds of strange things people tell you, all kinds of horrible things that go on in people's lives, all kinds of injustices, all kinds of problems, and you must be gentle with them or else you will drive them away. People will not tolerate that. So we have found out tonight, first of all, Paul says, he is not to be a fighter. Secondly, he is to be gentle. But there is a third area, and that is he is to be uncontentious, uncontentious. Let me start off by reading a quote, a part of Gene Getz's very good book, The Measure of a Man. This is how he opens his chapter on the topic of being uncontentious. Tom is a smart, outgoing, successful businessman. He is president of his own company, and he's doing well, in fact, very well. He enjoys being top dog. His relatively small staff works hard to carry out his orders. Six months ago, Tom was elected to serve as an elder in his church, but there was something about Tom that no one really knew. As long as he was calling the shots and making all the decisions, he was happy, easy to live with, and cooperative. But when he was just one among equals, it was a different story. To everyone's surprise, Tom always seemed to take an opposite point of view from everyone else on the board. If it was his idea, fine, but if the ideas came from someone else, he could never seem to get excited about it. In fact, he would do all he could to find reasons why it wasn't workable. Needless to say, Tom literally destroyed the unity among the group of men. His contentious attitude and behavior became an almost invincible roadblock to consensus. He forced a vote on every issue, which usually came out eight to one against Tom. The term contentious means a quarreler, a person who always seems to have a chip on his shoulders. Positively stated, it means he's to be a peaceful man. It's also used in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 and 25. The same word is used there. He's not to be quarrelsome. Not to be quarrelsome. Now, this is a little bit different from being pugnacious. And it's different in this sense. If it was the same thing Paul wouldn't have included, he's not repeating himself. A pugnacious man is quick to hit you if he doesn't get along with you. He doesn't want to necessarily, he doesn't come into a meeting that he wants to hit you. It's just that he can't control his anger, so he smashes you if you disagree with him. That would be a quick-tempered man. But a contentious man just has a continual disposition that's inclined to fighting and arguing and debating. 
He's always right. And if you come along and say something, he's going to disagree with you. He always has to be right. I remember a Christian leader who always seemed to pick an argument about something. I knew a man who, if you said it was partly sunny outside, he would say, no, it's partly cloudy. Honestly, I knew someone. If you said the glass is halfway filled with water, he'd say it's halfway empty. If you'd say hello, he'd say goodbye. I mean, this felt anything you said. He had a problem with it. He carried a chip on his shoulder. A contentious spirit is only symptomatic, and you need to understand that. No one is born with a contentious spirit. They're born with sin and the proneness to go that way, but a contentious spirit is developed. It indicates a deeper problem. One reason why a person is contentious is because of selfishness or jealousy. If you look at James chapter 3, you'll see what I mean. James uses this expression. He says in James 3, let's look at verse 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But watch how he contrasts earthly wisdom to divine wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. And here's that word, reasonable full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A contentious attitude could stem from jealousy. He's used to getting his own way. That's what James is saying. By the way, if you look at chapter 4 in James, verses 1 and 2, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. One reason why someone may be contentious is they are always used to getting their way. They become envious and they're jealous of anybody else getting their own way, and so they fight. There's many a man who comes to a board meeting who is just like the illustration that Gene gets used. He's used to getting his way. He's gotten his way in business. He is maybe a president of a company, and he can handle it that he can't get his own way. And so he fights. He lusts. He desires to have his own program passed. If he brings it up, it's wonderful. If it flies, that's great. But if someone else brings it up, no, he can't handle it. He can't handle it because he's used to running the ship. And that's one reason why somebody is contentious. And that's a sin problem, and a man like that should not be an elder. There's another reason why someone is contentious. It could stem from insecurity, deep-seated insecurity, low self-esteem. They're always trying to prove something. Maybe they had a father who put them down. I don't want to get just into psychology. I don't know all the reasons for this, but it could be that they had a father or a mother who always put them down. They were never what their brothers were, their sisters were. Their parents were never warm to them. They were never ones who embraced them. And all their lives, they're trying to prove that they could really make it. And they have to have the final word on everything. So they become domineering and authoritarian. That's the term. And they have to control everyone. They are threatened when someone disagrees with them. They become defensive when this happens. And it's not because they have their act together and because they're so powerful. It's because deep inside they are so insecure. And when someone comes along and threatens that insecurity, they make like they are very secure. But that outlash and that contentious spirit is just another evidence that deep inside they are quite insecure and you've just hit on a nerve. Quite frankly, we find this trait in many Christian leaders who are so insecure and they can't admit the possibility that they're wrong. They just can't. So they become critical of everyone who disagrees with them. They have a militant spirit. You've heard that, that there are Christians who are militant. There are schools who are militant. There are young people who are trained and coming out of Christian schools who come out with a chip on their shoulder. They're fighting everybody. They're fighting the brethren. You have to agree with them in 100% on every single point or they will be against you. Now, I'm not saying we're to have fellowship with unbelievers. 
And I'm not saying we are not to have standards of separation from sin. But when we come out with a militant fighting spirit, that is an indication that something is wrong. They become critical of everyone. And the incredible thing is these elders and these pastors try to rationalize that away. If you've ever known a militant critical pastor, they try to rationalize it with scripture. They'll quote such verses like Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Or back in the Old Testament, how many times have you heard touch not the Lord's anointed? Touch not the Lord's anointed, which somehow seems to be an excuse to rationalize their militancy and that they are a law unto themselves and nobody can touch them. They're always right. There are others who are contentious because they're just bitter. In Ephesians chapter 4, there's a bitterness that develops when you do not resolve a conflict with anger. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. There is an anger that's not sin. It's called righteous indignation. We ought to be angry when God's standards have been violated. We ought to be annoyed when we see things on the television that are absolutely wrong and a disgrace to the holiness of God. We ought to be angry at sin. But he says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. There is an anger that's wrong. It is motivated by selfishness. It is motivated by wrong desires. It is motivated by self-centeredness. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. When you let anger build up, when you sleep on it and you nurture it and it festers, you give Satan an opportunity to come in there to the point where you're bitter. And if it's not resolved, you'll be bitter and angry at the world. And that's why many have a contentious spirit. I was talking recently to an unsaved man, but this principle is true for everyone. An unsaved man who is mad at the world. He's fighting everybody. In fact, I said that to him. I said, who do you get along with? That week, he didn't get along with anybody. But this man is mad at the world. He's fighting everyone because he's angry with one other person. And it's driving him. To this level of everyone he's lashing out at. He can't get along with relatives. He can't get along with friends. He can't go out to have dinner with friends. He's an argument. And then he said to me, well, it's this other person's fault. Not my fault. If this person didn't agitate me, I wouldn't be like this. Well, he doesn't know how to handle his anger. He's let the sun go down on his anger. And he has a contentious spirit that if that is not resolved, and I don't know how an unsafe person will resolve it unless he comes to Christ. But if that is not resolved, then that will build a contentious spirit for the rest of his life. Bitterness doesn't go away just because another day dawns. So tonight, we've seen that an elder is to be a model to the church on how to get along with others socially. No sense in having someone who's a pastor who can't cut it with people. No sense in having someone who is to shepherd the flock when they can't get along with the flock, and the flock doesn't want to get along with them because they're like this. He's to reflect Christ. You know, Christ was a people person. Christ was with people, and people responded to him. They didn't always like his message, but his disciples responded to him. And we ought to be very careful that we don't try to rationalize and say, well, people don't like me because I always stand for the truth. Well, there is a measure of truth to that, but your own people should really get along with you because you're to be like this, not pugnacious. You're to be gentle and you're to be uncontentious. So what have we said? An elder is not to hit people or snap at them when they offend or criticize him or hurt him. An elder is to be a man who yields to others and doesn't insist on getting his own way. Others can get their way. It's all right. Thirdly, we've seen these not to carry a chip on his shoulder, daring people to knock it off. Remember that battery commercial? The guy put a battery on his shoulder and said, I dare you, knock it off. That's what we're talking about. You don't go through life saying, I dare you, touch it, and you'll get it. I believe these three qualities are just, as I said before, so often overlooked in the ministry of Christ. When we look for church leaders, and the result is, and this is really the bottom line, when you put men like that in a position of leadership, you have contentious militant churches who fight about everything and they refuse to apologize to anybody. They are never wrong. 
And if you dare to say they're wrong, they think they're persecuted for righteousness sake. God help us to never be like that. And as we evaluate men for the future, may God lead us to be very careful about the men that we select as elders, that they might have the qualities that God wants and they get along well with people. And God help the elders to be the kind of men that he wants us to be. You realize that this is not just a message for elders. If elders model these things to the church, it means the church is to be like this. We are all to be like this, gentle people, not fighters and not contentious. I hope you'll take that to heart. In our last two verse-by-verse broadcasts, we have seen that an elder is to be a model to the church on how to get along with others socially. There is no sense in having someone who is to shepherd the flock when they can't get along with the flock, and the flock doesn't want to get along with them. So an elder is to reflect Christ. He is not pugnacious, but should be gentle, and an elder should not be contentious. As Pastor Steve said several broadcasts ago, the reason an elder is to have these leadership qualities is because he is to be an example to the church on how they should conduct themselves. I would like to remind you about the Verse by Verse podcast. It's a great way to go back and review a broadcast to better understand what was said. Or if you miss all or part of a broadcast, you can listen at a time that is convenient. To sign up for the podcast, you can surf over to versebyverseradio.org and click the podcast link. Follow all the instructions, and before you know it, voila, you will be receiving the podcast. That link again is versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.